0: Chapter Eight of The Story of a Loaf of Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of a Loaf of Bread by T. B. Wood. Chapter Eight Concerning Different Kinds of Bread the table given in the last chapter states the average composition of ordinary white bread baked in the form of cottage loaves and the remarks on the various constituents of bread in the preceding pages have for the most part referred to the same material though many of them may be taken to refer to bread in general it will now be of interest to inquire as to the variation in composition which is found among the different kinds of bread commonly used in this country this enquiry will be most readily conducted by first considering the possible causes which may affect the composition of bread the variation in the composition of bread is a subject which is taken up from time to time by the public press and debated therein with a great display of interest and some intelligent knowledge in most of the press discussions in the past interest has been focused almost entirely on the effect of different kinds of milling the attitude commonly assumed by the food reform section of the contributors may be stated shortly as follows in the days of stone milling a less perfect separation of flour and bran was effected and the flour contained more of the materials situated in the grain near the husk than do the white flours produced by modern methods of roller milling again the modern roller mills separate the germ from the flour which the stone mills fail to do at any rate so completely thus the stone ground flours contain about eighty per cent of the grain whilst the whole of the flour obtained from the modern roller mill seldom amounts to much more than about seventy two per cent the extra eight per cent of flour produced in the stone mills contains all or nearly all the germ and much of the material rich in protein which lies immediately under the husk. Hence, the stone-ground flour is richer in protein and in certain constituents of the germ than white roller-mill flour, and hence again, stone-ground flour has a higher nutritive value. Roller-mill flour has nothing to commend it beyond its whiteness it has been suggested that millers should adopt the standard custom of producing eighty per cent of flour from all the wheat passing through their mills and thus retain those constituents of the grain which possess specially great nutritive value it would probably be extremely difficult to produce eighty per cent of flour from many kinds of wheat but for the present this point may be ignored whilst we discuss the variation in the actual chemical composition of the flour produced as at present and on the eighty per cent basis in comparing the chemical composition of different kinds of flour it is obvious that the flours compared must have been made from the same lot of wheat for as will be seen later different wheats vary greatly in the proportions of protein and other important constituents which they contain unfortunately the number of analyses of different flours made from the same lots of wheat is small perhaps the best series is that published by dr hamel in a recent report of the local government board dr hamel gives the analyses of five different grades of flour made at seven mills each mill using the same blend of wheats for all the different kinds of flour calculating all these analyses to a basis of ten per cent of protein in the grade of flour known as patents the figures on the opposite page were obtained which may be taken to represent with considerable accuracy the average composition of the various kinds of flours and offals when made from the same wheat description of flour or offal patents flour protein per cent ten phosphoric acid percent 0.18 straight grade about 70 percent protein percent 10.6 phosphoric acid percent point twenty one. households protein percent 10.9 phosphoric acid percent 0.26 standard flour about 80 percent protein percent 11 phosphoric acid percent 0.35 whole meal protein percent 11.3 phosphoric acid percent 0.73 offals germ protein percent 24 phosphoric acid percent 2.22 sharps protein percent 14.5 phosphoric acid percent one point six six bran protein percent thirteen point five phosphoric acid percent two point five Accepting these figures as showing the relative proportions of protein and phosphoric acid in different flours as affected by milling only other sources of variation having been eliminated by the use of the same blend of wheat it appears that the flowers of commercially higher grade undoubtedly do contain somewhat less protein and phosphoric acid than lower grade or wholemeal flowers taking the extreme cases of patents and wholemeal flowers the latter contains one-ninth more protein and four times more phosphoric acid than the former provided both are derived from the same wheat in actual practice however it generally happens that the higher grade flours are made from a blend of wheats containing a considerable proportion of hard foreign wheats which are rich in nitrogen whilst wholemeal and standard flours are usually made from homegrown wheats which are relatively poor in nitrogen from a number of analyses of foreign and homegrown wheats it appears that the relative proportions of protein is about twelve and one-half percent in the hard foreign wheats as compared with ten percent in homegrown wheats thus the presence of a larger proportion of protein in the hard wheats used in the blend of wheat for making the higher grade flowers must tend to reduce the difference in protein content between say patents and wholemeal flowers as met with in ordinary practice furthermore much of the bread consumed by that part of the population to whom a few grams per day of protein is of real importance is or should be made for reasons of economy from households flour and the disparity between this grade of flour and wholemeal flour is much less than is the case with patents it appears therefore on examining the facts that there is no appreciable difference in the protein content of the ordinary white flours consumed by the poorer classes of the people and wholemeal flour or standard flour in the above paragraphs account has been taken only of the total amount of protein in the various kinds of bread and flour it is obvious however that the total amount present is not the real index of food value only that portion of any article of diet which is digested in the alimentary canal can be absorbed into the blood and carried thereby to the tissues where it is required to make good wear and tear the real food value must therefore depend not on the total amount of foodstuff present but on the amount which is digestible the proportion of protein which can be digested in the different kinds of bread has been the subject of careful experiments in america and lately in cambridge the method of experimenting is arduous and unpleasant several people must exist for a number of days on a diet consisting chiefly of the kind of bread under investigation supplemented only by small quantities of food which are wholly digestible such as milk sugar and butter during the experimental period the diet is weighed and its protein content estimated by analysis the excreta are also collected and their protein content estimated by analysis so that the amount of protein which escapes digestion can be ascertained the experiment is then repeated with the same individuals and the same conditions in every way except that another kind of bread is substituted for the one used before from the total amount of protein consumed in each kind of bread the total amount of protein voided in the excreta is subtracted and the difference gives the amount which has been digested and presumably utilized in the body from these figures it is easy to calculate the number of parts of protein digested for every one hundred parts of protein eaten in each kind of bread this description will have made evident the unpleasant nature of such experimental work its laboriousness will be understood from the fact that a series of experiments of this kind carried out at cambridge last winter necessitated four people existing for a month on the meagre diet above mentioned and entailed over one thousand chemical analyses the following table shows the amounts of protein digested per 100 parts of protein consumed in bread made from various kinds of flour as based on the average of a number of experiments made in america and in the experiments at Cambridge above referred to kind of flour from which bread was made patents percentage of the grain contained in the flour 36 Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten. American Experiments, zero. Cambridge Experiments, 89. Straight grade flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 70. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten. American Experiments, 89. Cambridge Experiments, zero. Standard flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 80. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten, American experiments, 81. Cambridge experiments, 86. Brown flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 88. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten, American experiments, 0. Cambridge Experiments, 80. Brown flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 92. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten. American Experiments, 0. Cambridge Experiments, 77. Wholemeal flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 100 amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten american experiments seventy six cambridge experiments zero the american and the cambridge figures agree very well with each other and this gives confidence in the reliability of the results it appears to be quite certain therefore that the protein in bread made from the higher grade flours is very considerably more digestible than that contained in bread made from flours containing greater amounts of husk the percentages following the names of the various grades of flour in the first column of the table indicate approximately the proportion of the whole grain which went into the flour to which the figure is attached looking down these figures it appears that the digestibility of the protein decreases as more and more of the grain is included in the flour it follows therefore that whilst by leaving more and more of the grain in the flour we increase the percentage of protein in the flour and consequently in the bread at the same time we decrease the digestibility of the protein apparently too this decrease in digestibility is proportionally greater than the increase in protein content and it follows therefore that breads made from low-grade flours containing much husk will supply less protein which is available for the use of the body although they may actually contain slightly more total protein than the flours of higher grade when all the facts are taken into account it appears that the contention of the food reformers that the various breads which contain those constituents of the grain which lie near the husk are capable of supplying more protein for the needs of the body than white breads, cannot be upheld. From statistics collected by the Board of Trade some few years ago as to the dietary of the working classes, it appears that the diet of workers, both in urban and in rural districts, contains about 97 grams of total protein per head per day this is rather under than over the commonly accepted standard of one hundred grams of protein which is supposed to be required daily by a healthy man at moderate work consequently a change in his diet which increased the amount of protein might be expected to be a good change but the suggested change of brown bread for white though it appears to increase the total protein turns out on careful examination to fail in its object for it does not increase the amount of protein which can be digested from the same statistics it appears that the diet of a working man includes on the average about one and one-quarter pounds of bread per day this amount of bread contains about sixty grams of protein or two-thirds of the total protein of the diet now it was pointed out in the last chapter that the protein of wheat was very rich in glutaminic acid a constituent of which animals require comparatively small amounts it is also correspondingly poor in certain constituents which are necessary to animals apparently therefore it would be better to increase the diet in such cases by adding some constituent not made from wheat than by changing the kind of bread from the protein point of view however we look at it there appears to be no real reason for substituting one or other of the various kinds of brown bread for the white bread which seems to meet the taste of the present-day public but important as protein is it is not everything in a diet as we have already pointed out the food must not only repair the tissues it must also supply fuel it has been shown also that the fuel value of a food can be ascertained by burning unknown weight and measuring the number of unit of heat or calories produced many samples of bread have been examined in this way in the laboratories of the american department of agriculture and it appears from the figures given in their bulletins that the average fuel value of white bread is about one thousand two hundred fifty calories per pound of wholemeal bread only one thousand one hundred fifty calories per pound these figures are quite in accord with those which were obtained in cambridge in nineteen eleven in connection with the digestion experiments already described which were also extended so as to include a determination of the proportion of the energy of the bread which the diet supplied to the body the energy or fuel value of the diet was determined by measuring the amount of heat given out by burning a known weight of each of the kinds of bread used in the experiment the energy which was not utilized by the body was then determined by measuring how much heat was given out by burning the excreta corresponding to each kind of bread the following table gives side by side the average results obtained in several such experiments in america and in cambridge the agreement between the two sets of figures is again on this point quite satisfactory it is evident that a greater proportion of the total energy of white bread can be utilized by the body than is the case with any of the breads made from flours of lower commercial grades which contain more husk in fact it appears that The more of the outer parts of the grain are left in the flour, the smaller is the proportion of the total energy of the bread which can be utilized. Combining this conclusion with the fact that brown breads contain, on the average, less total energy than white breads, there can be no doubt that white bread is considerably better than any form of brown bread as a source of energy for the body. Kind of flour from which bread was made Patents, percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 36, amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten, American Experiments, 96, Cambridge Experiments, 96, straight grade flour, percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 70, amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten, American Experiments, 92, Cambridge Experiments, 0. Standard Flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 80. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten. American Experiments, 87. Cambridge Experiments, 95. Brown Flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 88. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten. American Experiments, 0. Cambridge Experiments, 90. Brown flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 92. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten, American experiments, 0. Cambridge experiments, 89. Whole meal flour. Percentage of the grain contained in the flour, 100. Amount of protein digested per 100 parts eaten, American experiments, 82. Cambridge experiments, 0 there is one more important substance in respect of which great superiority is claimed for brown breads namely phosphoric acid from the table on page 122 there can be no doubt that flours containing more of the outer parts of the grain are very much richer in phosphoric acid than white flours and the disparity is so great that after allowing for the larger proportion of water in brown breads they must contain far more of this substance than do white breads in the cambridge digestibility experiments quoted above the proportion of the phosphoric acid digested from the different breads was determined it was found that for every one hundred parts of phosphoric acid in white bread only fifty two parts were digested and that in the case of the brown breads this proportion fell to forty one parts out of one hundred Again, as in the case of protein and energy, the phosphoric acid in white bread is more readily available to the body than that of brown bread. But in this case, the difference in digestibility is not nearly enough to counterbalance the much larger proportion of phosphoric acid in the brown bread. There is no doubt that the body gets more phosphoric acid from brown bread than from the same quantity of white bread. But before coming to any practical conclusion, it is necessary to know two things. How much phosphoric acid does a healthy man require per day, and does his ordinary diet supply enough? From the Board of Trade Statistics already quoted, it appears that, on the assumption that the average worker eats white bread only, his average diet contains 2.4 grams of phosphoric acid per day which would be raised to three point two grams if the white bread were replaced by bread made from eighty per cent flour containing 035 five per cent of phosphoric acid information as to the amount of phosphoric acid required per day by a healthy man is somewhat scanty and indicates that the amount is very variable but averages about two and a half grams per day if this is so the ordinary diet with white bread provides on the average enough phosphoric acid exceptional individuals may however be benefited by the substitution of brown bread for white but it would probably be better even in such cases for the reasons stated when discussing the protein question to raise the phosphorus content of their diet by the addition of some substance rich in phosphorus but not made from wheat finally comes the question of the variation in the composition of bread due to the presence or absence of the germ the first point in this connection is to decide whether germ is present in appreciable proportions in any flour except whole meal the germ is a soft moist substance which flattens much more readily than it grinds consequently it is removed from flour by almost any kind of separation even when very coarse sieves are employed. If this contention is correct, no flour except whole meal should contain any appreciable quantity of germ, and it is certainly very difficult to demonstrate the presence of actual germ particles even in 80% flour. Indirect evidence of the presence of germ may, however, be obtained, as already explained, by estimating by chemical analysis, the proportion of fat present in various flours the figures for such estimations are given by dr hamel in the report of the local government board already referred to they show that the percentages of fat in different grades of flours made from the same blends of wheat are on the average of seven experiments as follows patents flour point nine six household flours one point two five eighty percent or standard flour one point four two these figures show that the coarser flours containing more of the whole grain do contain more germ than the flours of commercially higher grade in spite of the fact that it is difficult to demonstrate its presence under the microscope remembering however that the whole of the germ only amounts to about one and one-half percent of the grain it is clear that the presence or absence of more or less germ cannot appreciably affect the food value as measured by protein content or energy value it is still open to contention that the germ may contain some unknown constituent possessing a peculiar effect on nutrition such a state of things can well be imagined in the light of certain experimental results which have been obtained during the last few years it has been shown for instance by dr hopkins in cambridge and his results have been confirmed at the carnegie institute in america that young rats fail to thrive on a diet composed of suitable amounts of purified protein fat starch and ash but that they thrive and grow normally on such a diet if there is added a trace of milk or other fresh animal or vegetable substance far too small to influence either the protein content or the energy value another case in point is the discovery that the disease known as beriberi which is caused by a diet consisting almost exclusively of rice from which the husk has been removed can be cured almost at once by the administration of very small doses of a constituent existing in minute quantities in rice husk the suggestion is that high-grade flowers like polished rice may fail to provide some substance which is necessary for healthy growth a substance which is removed in the germ or husk when such flowers are purified and which is present in flowers which have not been submitted to excessive purification the answer is that no class in great britain lives on bread exclusively bread appears from the government statistics already quoted to form only about half the diet of the workers of the country their diet includes also some milk meat and vegetables and such substances according to dr hopkins experiments certainly contain the substance whatever it may be that is missing from the artificial diet on which his young rats failed to thrive one last point It will have been noticed in the figures given above that the variations in protein content digestibility and energy value between different kinds of bread are usually not very large there is however one constituent of all breads whose proportions vary far more widely namely water during last summer the author purchased many samples of bread in and around cambridge and determined the percentage of water in each sample The samples were all one day old so that they are comparable with one another the results on the whole are a little low probably because the work was done during a spell of rather dry weather when the loaves would lose water rapidly the average figures are summarized below cottage loaves made of white flour percentage of water 31.7 tinned loaves made of white flour percentage of water thirty two point seven small fancy loaves made of white flour percentage of water thirty three point seven tinned loaves made of standard flour percentage of water thirty five point nine tinned loaves made of brown or germ flour percentage of water forty The figures speak for themselves There must obviously be more actual food in a cottage loaf of white flour containing under 32% of water than in any kind of standard or brown loaf in which the percentage of water is 36 to 40. It is quite extraordinary that no one who has organized any of the numerous bread campaigns in the press appears to have laid hold of the enormous variation in the water content of different kinds of bread and its obvious bearing on their food value. End of chapter 8. Recording by Linda Johnson. End of the story of a loaf of bread by T. B. Wood.